listening to the My Pet Podcast, the show for pet lovers of Australia and around the world. Proudly brought to you by Australia's trusted online pet supply store, Vet and Pet Direct. Hello and welcome to My Pet Podcast. I'm Beck, and I'm joined by Dr. Glenn. Hello. Um, in this podcast, we're going to discuss a very deadly little parasite. Horrible little buggers. Yeah, they are. Called the paralysis tick, if you hadn't caught up. And the dangers and the illnesses that the paralysis tick can call, cause, which is what we commonly know as tick paralysis. Uh, so before we get started, just a little disclaimer. Um, this is just general information, may or may not be suited for you and your pet. And if you have any questions or concerns, please contact your veterinarian. And let's get into it. So... There are actually a few species of ticks here in Australia um, that can affect our companion animals, I guess, um, including brown dog tick, bush ticks, cattle ticks, and a whole lot more, actually. Heaps and heaps of native ticks, yes. Yes. Um, but we're going to focus on the paralysis tick because it is the most um, deadly and of the greatest concern, especially in our area. Yes. But um, it is the one that is potentially life-threatening. Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> brown dog tick, occasionally, if you've got enough of them and other bits and yep. pieces, but yeah, for for. Most purposes, the the paralysis tick is the worst. Yes. And it only takes one. Correct. So, okay, the ticks are actually members of the arachnid family, so they've got eight legs, mm-hmm. and they actually start out really, really small. They can be the size of a pinhead, yep. and then they get bigger as they feed and suck on your pet's blood, yep. So, or your blood if you're unlucky. So how do we tell a paralysis tick from just all these other native ticks that are around in Australia. Yep. There's about 80 native ticks and a few, and a few introduced ones. So uh, the paralysis tick pretty much it's ignore its colour. I mean, in general, they're yeah. grey in colour in the bodies, but it depends on how much blood they got in them and, and, and variability. Yep. A lot of the other ticks are the same colour. Correct. So that's yeah. why so we colours, don't go by colour. Colour of body isn't great, basically. Yep. Um, definitely all the legs are congregated up towards the front end of the body. So, so all eight of their legs are like really close together where they start. Yeah. Yeah, so close to the what you'd call the head, the basically, head, yeah. um, which is actually the body, but it's it's the head. <laughs> it's the head because they um, all just one thing. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, some of the ticks have got legs that stick out, you know, halfway down the body, yeah. basically. So they're quite well spread out. But the prowl sticks, they seem to sort of come out from all the same yep. spot. If you look really, really, really closely, and your eyes are good enough, you <laughs> can see that the front pair of legs and the hind pair of legs, so the first and fourth pair of legs, yep. um, are darker in colour, sort of a reddy brown colour, mm-hmm. as opposed to a lighter grey sort of colour. Um, and that is fairly diagnostic. Um, if you flip them over, the little anal groove, so a little groove around their backside, which most other ticks don't have, but some do. Yep. Um, so it's sort of a combination of things. And if in doubt, you can't rule it out. Um, if it's got legs down in its body, um, it's pretty unlikely to be a paralysis tick. Yeah. If they're all the same colour, it's pretty um, unlikely to be a paralysis tick. Um, the legs are fairly thick, like some of the other ticks have got quite thin legs, mm-hmm. but again, you're looking at something that's pretty little and it's a bit subjective to measure those things. So it's pretty much uh, leg position and leg colour is the yep. most diagnostic bit. I mean, for an average person that may or not have seen any ticks in their life, yep. um, that's probably the best way to look at it is those legs all up the top of the head, or what you call the head, yep. and the different coloured um, first and fourth Basically, yeah. And if you... Are looking at a tick, you've obviously either got it on your dog, and mm. it's easy to look at it when you've got it off your dog or cat yes. or whatever you're looking at. Um, keep it if if you're not Special. sure, stick it in a little Ziploc bag or a little yep. container, because um, they are pretty mobile. If you just stick them on the bench and come back five minutes later, they can have wiggled away. Um, and don't squish them um, yeah, because that tell. makes it harder to identify <laughs> them. Um, but yeah, identification. Like if if you're in a paralytic area, I mean your vet is certainly going to be used to yep. looking at them all the time, um, and and is an easy identifier. We. Um, are in the same shopping centre as a doctor surgery and the um, <laughs> nurses up there often trot down a little paralysis stick or a tick and, and get us to have a look oh, and see, see what we reckon as far as is it a yeah. paralysis stick or not. Um, but, yeah, that's the main differentiating factors. Just if you do squash them, because I've never squashed one. Yeah. They just blood? Uh, yeah, depending on how much blood they got in, <laughs> yeah. it can get quite spectacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, So I, I wouldn't recommend it. No, no. I've yeah. just never squashed one because yeah. we don't like to squash them. No. Yeah, I just wondered yeah. that. Yeah, they splatter. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Slightly off topic, but anyhow. <laughs> um, so where are we finding? Where do they come from, essentially? How do we end up with these paralysis sticks on our um, dogs, cats, 
Companion animals. <laughs> yep, companion animals. And, I mean, anything can get tick paralysis if mm-hmm. you've got enough of them. Um, I've worked um, up on the Sunshine Coast when I first got out of uni. Shout out to Karura Vet Surgery up at Karoi. <laughs> um, the area up there was pretty nasty for paralysis ticks and, and we would routinely treat foals, uh, oh, yeah. alpacas, uh, sheep, goats. Um, some calves used to get them. Um, and, you know, I treated one, um, like, quarter horse, which was like a 600-kilo horse wow. that had, like, 15 paralysis ticks. Okay. Um, so it, it's dose-dependent. And that goes for um, the cats and dogs as well. Mm-hmm. So the bigger they are, it takes a little bit longer for them to mm-hmm. become paralysed. But, um, yeah, one paralysis tick is certainly enough to paralyse mm-hmm. an animal up to a couple hundred kilos. Yep. So they're, they're pretty problematic. And, you know, east coast of Australia, anywhere east of the Great Dividing Range, mm-hmm. right from Cape York right down um, through Victoria and Tasmania, yep. the... Uh, Further you go north, the worse they tend to be because they like, um, or they don't like it cold, and they, they like and they don't humidity. like it dry. Yeah, they they prefer it humid. That it's just the the life cycle um, is more effective when the um, they're not freezing and yeah. dry, drying out essentially. <laughs> I can agree that. Yeah, and um, the bandicoot's the main native host basically so the bandicoot is unaffected by paralysis ticks. You yep. can see a little injured bandicoot, or if you ever see them um, in uh, native world, basically <laughs> you know, they'll have. 10 or 15 or a dozen or 100 uh, paralysis ticks on them and they're blood suckers for them but they don't cause paralysis because they um, they can neutralise the toxin it doesn't affect them so anything else pretty much can um, get it. There's supposedly, um, I mean it's written up that possums and other species mm-hmm. um, can harbour them. I don't really know if that's true or not. I mean okay. it's definitely bandicoots. Um, I've seen magpies and birds and, and um, possums that have got tick paralysis um, so... I'm not sure how much they harbour them. They mm-hmm. maybe they can mechanically spread them around before they become paralysed. Yeah, them. and they are a three, um, a three stage tick, uh, which yep. means that as part of their life cycle, they hatch out from eggs and their little nymphs, and they um, hook onto a. Uh, onto a um, host, usually the bandicoot, and mm-hmm. they have a feed for a while and, and then they drop they off drop and off. they molt and, and get a little bit bigger uh, and then drop on, uh, jump on another host mm-hmm. um, and do the same thing again and drop off again. And the third stage is the one that's reproductively active and um, get quite big. But, but so the little ones can still cause paralysis. At any of those stages, they can jump onto your dog or cat. Correct, yeah. yeah. Well, just... <laughs> Not so much jump on, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> grab grab, grab <laughs> them as they go past. They just yeah, yeah, they yeah. just climb up. All ticks just sort of climb up to the top the of the latest, the, the nearest vegetation, yeah, yep. grass or little shrubs or whatever, um, and just wait for someone to, to brush to past, brush essentially. Past them, yeah. yeah, and then once they get on, they tend to have a um, predisposition for low carbon dioxide, sorry, high carbon dioxide areas. Um, so okay. closer to the mouth and nose where yeah. where there's uh, air being exhaled is the theory. So um, head and face and uh, front of the shoulders is ninety percent of tick paralysis um, positions that we see. They can be anywhere. I've seen them from yeah. between teeth on the gum lines up underneath That's the lip, so next next to their bum in their vulva, um, all sorts of places. Mm. Um, but essentially, you know, if you if you're suspicious of um, tick paralysis, you start looking at the head end first and work your work way, your way, work your way back. Yeah, yep. and just because they've got one doesn't mean that they don't have more. Correct. Yep. If so we got, don't stop looking. Yeah, if they've got one, they, they certainly could have more. One's enough, but yep. um, but two's worse. Yeah. Yes, mm. and they can have a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had. I mean, especially the larval ones. If they've um, been somewhere, like I've had forty or fifty paralysis yeah. ticks um, on pets, and um, and yeah, I've seen horses with dozens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Things like our kangaroos and our real native like wildlife, the kangaroos, wombats, yep. things like that. Do they? Oh, I've get seen uh, joeys with mm-hmm. um, tick browsers. Um I think they're probably more resilient. I think there's a, it's like a sliding scale there somewhere because okay. they are more exposed to it. But certainly, it, it can oh, cause yeah, paralysis in native species. Yeah, they're almost building up an, sort of an immunity. To building up immunity, or, or they've just got some genetics there that make them more um, resistant. But mm-hmm. but they can still get paralysis. Yeah. Yep. yeah. All right. So. We said that the bandicoot's our main little host um, of the little parasite there, yeah. but uh, as we said, they definitely can be on. We can find them on any of our companion animals. Yep. So, I think ranging from your guinea pig to your bird, if you happen to take your bird, if out you have a bird out wandering yep. around on the grass, yep, I guess it would, be, it would be a possibility. Yeah, aviary or I mean, some pets will get a bit of lawn time. Yeah, that sort exactly. Of thing. Yep. Uh, right up to your big animals like your um, yeah cows and your. Horses, yep, so absolutely. it's something to keep in mind with everything. Yes, yep. <laughs> but I guess primarily we're going to sort of look at the dog and the cat side of things because that's what that's what most most of your cases yeah. that you that you're going to treat is. And, and some people think cats don't get them, and they certainly do. Um, yep. Cats, uh, you would think, are very efficient groomers, yeah, um, and maybe they groom you know 
a couple off. I don't know, yeah. but I, I see pretty much the same proportion of um, paralysed cats as I see paralysed yeah. dogs relative to the, the total numbers of pets that I see in the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but my cats actually definitely get it, and because they're quite low body weight, it affects them you know, a, little, a little bit faster. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, so, we're just about hitting the peak season. We find we're, we're based in Jimboomba, so we're sort of um, south of Brisbane, so we get paralysis tick. You can almost see them year-round, can't you? See them all year-round. I usually say June to Christmas is yep. 90% of my cases yep. um, and it sort of peaks in that September, October, mm-hmm. but definitely I've seen three cases in the last month or so yeah, um, and I'm, I'm not a very big practice. Um, so, yeah, definitely from June onwards I'll see you know, upwards of 200 cases in that mm-hmm. time frame in that six months and then Christmas to June I'll see you know, a dozen or maybe yep. a few more sort of things. So it's certainly a lot less. Um, definitely the, it's an all-year-round problem and the further you go north um, – yeah, the less um, harsh winters, yeah. um, you know, it becomes you know more of a year-round problem. Yeah. Um, but I would never say that just because you're in a paralytic area, there isn't a, a, a definite off-season. Mm-hmm. So there's not a time you can never, um, you know, have prevention of some sort on as a recommendation. Yeah. Um, but definitely that it's not just a warm weather thing. Some people yes. think, okay, it's not warm yet. There's not going to be any ticks around. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a furphy. There's, you know, I see ticks in the middle of winter. Yes. Yeah. And I guess it's also... The peaks and troughs of it go with the climate a little bit. Absolutely, um, yeah. Rainfall. They, 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 they like it um, wet and not yep. um, not cold, basically. So <laughs> if you've had a heap of frost and, and it's dry, I mean, you can see less. And, and this year's you know, like that. It's, it's yep. pretty dry and it's been pretty cool. Um, so I'm sure I'm going to see less this year than I did mm-hmm. post-Brisbane um, flood year. I did yeah, 200, yeah, 200 cases in the six months massive, um, yeah, following yeah. Um, the flood year sort of thing because we had a couple of wet years prior to that as well, yep. and I think there's a bit of a build-up probably. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's an all-year-round problem, but but June to Christmas primarily is the biggest time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that covers the little tick itself, but why are the paralysis ticks such a concern? I mean, we um, we really do talk about it a lot in vet, in, in vet clinics and we deal with a lot of customers ringing up and wanting to make sure their pets are covered for it and everything, but what is it that ticks do? What are the symptoms of this little bugger giving us the Tick paralysis. Yep. So your tick paralysis um, numbers are a little bit sketchy. We think um, there's about 12,000 um, dogs and cats treated a year in Australia oh. for tick paralysis um, that are presented to vets mm-hmm. um, for treatment. So there's um, probably a fair few that aren't presented to vets yeah, potentially. So um, that's, you know, that's a pretty big number. Um, and, and most of those pets, if they're presented with a tick, I mean, they'll need treating to, to you know, give them the best chance of survival essentially. So mm-hmm. you know, that's a pretty big um, population problem that we've got happening yes, there. So um, I mean, the toxic is it's a neurotoxin, so it affects um, the nerves that go to um, muscles, and that's uh-huh. both um, mostly skeletal muscle, but also smooth muscle. So essentially, the voluntary muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, it affects the little um, neurological. Uh, joiners basically so the longer the nerves uh, the more effect the toxin has so the longest nerves in the body obviously go you know to the back legs and the, mm-hmm. the um, backward extremities but also the vagus nerve that, that goes to the throat and affects swallowing uh, and the back of the throat it's quite a long nerve that goes out of the brain and down around the heart and comes back up again so it's um you know Early on in tick paralysis symptoms, it can be like a change in voice, um, sometimes a little bit of regurgitation where the, the throat muscles aren't working properly. So a change in voice, you mean um, if you've got a dog that's a barker, that's yep. pretty different, easy. Different bark, different, sort of different, 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 different meow, yep. um, just like just the pitch changes yeah. sort of thing. And they, they can be quite variable initially mm-hmm. and, and quite subtle, the changes um, when there's you know, not much happening and, and some pets um, are more so uh, you know, throat affected, some are more yep. so uh, respiratory muscle affected. So if their respiratory muscles become weaker, well, breathing just gets a bit harder. Oh, so usually yep. that means it's like a slower, more deliberate, deep breathing uh-huh. um, if they're hot at the same time that complicates things because they're trying to pant at the same time as breathe as, deeply yeah. which which gets complicated um and the the back legs um are affected as well so usually the back legs wise sometimes your dog just be sort of walking along and then it just sits down like when mm-hmm. it's a bit weird that why is it sort of sitting down and then it you know sits down for a bit and then walks off again um becoming a little bit wobbly yeah. um becoming weaker and then becoming paralyzed and that that paralysis and, and weakness and wobbliness ascend so it's back legs first and then front legs and and, and it goes forward from there what is the time frame you're talking about here because it it's actually really surprising how quickly this yeah can and again variable and and um, body weight of of the is patient dependent a little bit factor, um, because yes. you know 40 kilo rot wheel has probably got an extra 
24, 48 yep. hours potentially than a five kilo Jack Russell. Oh, um, and activity of the muscles makes a difference as mm-hmm. well. So um, the more those muscles are getting fired off and used, so if the dog goes for a walk or has been running okay, around like yep. a lunatic chasing a ball or something, it can uh, potentiate or, or stimulate that nerve toxin to work uh, faster yes, essentially. Yep. So if you've got a pretty you know, sedentary dog, it doesn't do a great deal. Sometimes it's you know in the mornings just a little bit non-specifically off and, and you mm. might miss those little initial signs and then in the afternoon it's you know wobbly in the back legs and, yep. and you know what's something going on and some people you know older dogs they think oh he's a bit stiff or something like that um, and then you know paralyzed by the next morning yes. uh, and literally sometimes I've seen pets that that maybe they had you know misinterpreted or, or missed signs you know early on mm. but they can be fine to go for the walk and they get half a k down the road and they just you know collapse and and they Can't end up getting carried home yeah um, and sometimes they can sort of recover a little bit if they've been exerting themselves mm-hmm. significantly, but usually it's sort of a just a downward progression, essentially. Yes, that's also know. dogs are quite stoic, aren't they? <laughs> they tend to be. They are, and, and cats, um, okay. I mean, they don't run around a lot much a lot of the time, so that probably makes them a little bit slower. Um, yep. And if they've got a paralysis stick, obviously they're, they're already a, a, you know, an outside cat, yep. um, and that could include, and I had one in last week, um, a little cat that um, is essentially an inside cat, except he just mm-hmm. goes out with the owners um, occasionally outside and, and mm-hmm. actually goes to the toilet outside a little bit as well, um, but you know, spent the vast majority of time inside, but still had contact with grass where there was paralysis mm-hmm. sticks outside and had one on his lip and, and was duly, duly paralysed, etc. So That's it, just proof, isn't it, that it's really that easy? Yeah, it is that easy. <laughs> um, so it's really, if they're, if they're outside, they, they could get them essentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the signs initially can be quite nonspecific um, mm-hmm. and variable, but they'll end up um, paralysed, having difficulty breathing, yep. um, has direct effects on the heart as well. And we sort of seem to think that sometimes there's some antigenic shift maybe and, and seems to be that maybe in the last sort of five years or so there seems to be more cases of, of acute heart failure troubles with it okay. um, and if you've already got um, a pet with heart troubles well that works against you a little bit yeah, but um, so heart's a muscle so yeah heart's a muscle and, and I've seen you know, quite young pets that, that aren't that paralyzed that, that really crash and burn in the heart department sometimes okay. as well so that it's got a direct cardiac toxin effect mm-hmm. as well um, but yeah the respiratory muscle weakness becomes worse and worse and, and mm-hmm. you know the, the breathing gets shallower because the muscles aren't working properly and and essentially they you know can suffocate um sometimes they'll aspirate and because they can't swallow properly so they'll you know in the process of vomiting they'll inhale that sort of muck down their lungs and and end up with a pneumonia and and, and that sort of thing so it gets pretty complicated Mm. so just to list them off for you if you're listening the um signs and symptoms to really look out for from um sort of the early stages of what could be uh, tick paralysis are sort of your lethargy um, just not wanting to move around as they typically would, I guess. Yep. Um, shaking, panting, um, or that laboured breathing, that more deep. More so laboured breathing yep. primarily, yeah. and sometimes they get little, like a little honk. Um, so it's yep. just a little, once they're breathing out, they sort of do a bit of a Ah, huh. uh, yes, yep. Huh. So yep. right on the end of the exhale, okay. um, which is a little bit of a laryngeal paralysis yep. happening. Yeah. So the change in voice, so the change in the way they're meowing, they're barking or yep. whatever. Um bit of confusion they can not sometimes as you get it gets on they can sort of not really yeah i mean seem a bit off yeah i suppose they're worried about what's going on don't understand it sometimes and (laughs) which is understandable um gagging so that's normally when you that they aren't swallowing properly so they're having some effects there on that um on the throat, so difficulty swallowing, gagging, yep. um, vomiting can come yep. off the course of and, it. And sometimes they don't, they don't want to eat because they know they can't swallow properly. Yes, And sometimes they still want to eat but can't swallow properly so they end up sort of choking. half choking on it yes. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so we said the noisy, laboured sort of breathing and uh, the wobbling, the lack of coordination, so those back legs start to – Oh, I don't know. I sort of think that they almost look like their back legs go droopy to start with. Yeah, they're just, they're just, like, just getting weaker and, yeah. and, and just the bum sinks a bit sort yes, of thing and they can't realise that the bum's sinking no. and, and then the wobbliness comes in. And um, they kind of drag sort of crab, crab, the limbs. Crab, crab along a bit sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it's again quite variable. And then they, you know, obviously are unable to stand. Yeah. Um, and the weakness progresses from the back legs through to the body, through up the front legs and we see it all the way through to the um, – top of the head and everything yep. we see through the throat. And then um, 
What about their eyes? Do we see a bit of a change in the pupils? Yeah, so dilation in the pupils. And sometimes, again, that's quite early on. Um, <laughs> and that sometimes, more so in cats, might be a bit of an adrenaline thing where they oh, yeah, don't okay. know what the hell's going on, so their pupils are dilating okay. because of that. Um, and depending on where the um, position of the tick is, you can get local symptoms as well. So if you've got a tick somewhere around the left-hand mm-hmm. side of the face, or sometimes you'll get um, a more profound paralysis of the uh, eye blinking muscles. Oh, yeah, yep. So they'll be sort of being able to blink normally on the other side. Um, and they haven't got the full body symptoms mm-hmm. yet, but the um, the left eye won't work properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, the cornea can actually dry out, and that's part of the, the treatment sort of things is to keep their eyes lubricated because yes. they can't blink, blink properly, properly, and that's a, a big problem. But if it's yeah, it's on their face uh, or around the throat, you can get some local effects as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, dilation of the pupil uh, is quite common, and, and um, response lack of response to light. So you shine mm-hmm. a bright light. Uh, get the iPhone's got a nice little <laughs> torch on it these days, yep. nice bright light. So you just um yeah flash that in their eye and hold it there and the pupil doesn't contract down nicely Uh like it normally does and that can be quite suggestive uh, particularly early on of tick paralysis yeah so if we find out we come home and find our dog our cat our goat whatever not quite right seeming to we think it could be some one of those symptoms in there or maybe you get it we get them into the vet the first thing you'll do is obviously go through the symptoms but then you'll go to do a tick check, aren't you? It's yep. this. <laughs> and there's a little technique that, I don't know, it's you just run your fingers through really funny through their coat. It's yeah, like, 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 like you're giving their hair a massage, but yes. or their skin a massage, basically just sort of um, yeah, like in a wave like form, and, yeah. and you just got to do it um, sequentially. So you just make sure you cover, co- covering all your bases, which mm-hmm. is quite difficult. And some it cats is. and dogs it's, can make it quite. It's difficult really hard as well. to find them sometimes in like your yeah. hairy cats or yep, dogs. Absolutely, so. yeah, and you can have. Three people check them for half yeah. an hour, and and you convinced there's got to be a ticky somewhere, and then someone comes in and puts their hand on it. No, oh, what true. do you mean? What do you mean doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, and it can be quite tricky. And of course, I guess that tick that has caused the problems could have fallen off. Absolutely, yep. And Which you get usually, um, like with your feeling, like you'll get a tick crater, uh, yes. we call a tick crater, so um, which isn't actually a crater. It's just where <laughs> the skin's at the same level, but you get swelling, um, like yep. a, an insect bite reaction around it. So it ends up being a crater because it's higher on the yep. outside than it is in the middle. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a quite a, um, not diagnostic swelling, but most of the other ticks don't cause the mm-hmm. similar sort of reaction um, and, and this tick crater. So if you find a tick crater and it's got, usually got a little scabby bit in the middle of yep. it, um, that is uh, where the tick has been and dropped off and, and you can still get uh, increasing symptoms of tick paralysis for 48, 72 hours after a tick comes off. Mm-hmm. So if that tick's you know been dislodged um, or has had its five to seven days of, of blood yep. meal and decided to drop off and, and continue its life cycle, um, you can still certainly have uh, treat, um, yeah, increasing symptoms mm-hmm. for a couple of days afterwards. And that's one of the things where people, you know, they find a tick uh, either incidentally or the or the pet will have you know early symptoms, yep. and the tick will be removed at home, um, and and they think well once the tick's removed, well that's yeah. everything's going to be okay. Well, it's it's usually well, not the case, the case because that pet is very likely to still go downhill for yes. for a couple of days, and and if they're already showing uh, any symptoms, a, a couple of days they're, they're pretty fair chance they're not going to be around anymore. Yep. Yeah, unfortunately. So on that, we f- if we find a tick at home, should we remove it straight away, or is it best to Leave it and get the vet to remove it because let's face it, if we think our dog's got a tick or we find a tick on them, yep. we should be getting them to the vet regardless. Yeah, yeah we'd recommend getting them to the vet. Um, I mean, if you can uh, easily remove it, mm-hmm. um, preferably not with a flamethrower. Um, <laughs> it, it There's be, some interesting techniques <laughs> yeah. out there. Um, it, yeah, I'd remove it and put it in a little Ziploc bag or a little, little safe sort of container. Um, if you're not sure, it's probably best to leave it there mm-hmm. if, if you're making your way straight to the vet because you know 20 minutes, half an hour is probably not going to make a great deal of difference at the end of the day. Uh, the main thing is you don't want to sit there and squeeze the tick for five minutes um, and traumatise it and antagonise it, which potentially, theoretically, could release more toxin mm-hmm. into the system is, is the theory. Um, I think the science is still probably out on that yep. um, because I've been out for 23 years and there's been about five different recommendations on what you should or shouldn't <laughs> do as far as ticks, leave them on there or spray them with something while they're on there or freeze yep. them with something while they're on there. Um and or, or just remove them basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's yeah lots of feeds out there about mm. it. But it's pretty much if you've got um, a little tick twister or a little implement to remove yeah, them. Yeah, special um, tick removers out there and available. They, they make things easier. They do. Um, if you've got a decent set of fingernails, I mean, you can do it with that as well. You just they don't, are quite little sometimes still. Yeah, so. and yeah, and I mean they're in amongst the hair and everything else, mm, and sometimes the true. dogs moving around and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you can safely remove them with a tick twister or, or a decent pair of tweezers, you, you just want to get towards the. Butt 
face, like towards the, the skin head. level, basically, and probably twist a little bit and remove it. Yeah. Um, it's like a twist and pull sort of thing. Yeah, look, <laughs> the whole leave the head in there yeah, thing, and that's, that's a disaster. Is a furphy. I mean, mm-hmm. they haven't really got a head; they've got biting mouth parts and the body. Yeah. Um, and if you cut them in half with your fingernails or whatever, well, the tick's dead anyway, and, and they're already going to have a reaction there anyway. So it's not going to make a great deal of mm-hmm. difference. Um, but if you've cut them in half with something, um, it probably means you've squeezed them pretty hard. Um, yep. And might have injected a bit more toxin in, uh, but yeah, the, the whole head in, head out things. Um, that's a, a, one of those great little lifestyles that fights around. Does the um, metho on them, the alcohol on them, um, actually work? Because you hear that often. It might. It's probably not very pleasant for them, but again, yeah. it might be pissing them off a bit as well. Yeah, I've heard that too. <laughs> um, I mean, you can, and I think probably 15 to 18 years ago, the recommendation was, was kill them with an insecticide of some sort mm-hmm. before you remove them. Um, current recommendation is just remove them, basically. Okay. Yep. Um, but yeah, like your frontline spray, your pyrethrin mm-hmm. um, spray, um, you know, it does kill them fairly quickly. But then again, if you remove them, well, they're, they're not going to in- inject any more toxin either. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So then how are you treating them, Glenn, when, we, when they come into, I guess it also will depend a bit on the stage, the severity of the tick paralysis? Yep. So they give me everything from I've got a tick but I'm not showing any symptoms uh-huh. um, and basically you know, I don't routinely recommend treating them if they're not showing any symptoms. If they start to show any symptoms, um, I recommend treating them. Uh-huh. Um, so any symptoms of that long range that we were just sort of yep. talking about because if you just remove the tick and they start – uh, or have already got any symptoms or start showing symptoms, you know, within the next 6, 12, 18 hours yep. of removing the tick, well, there's a high likelihood they're still going to keep going downhill. Yep. Um, so those symptoms will progress is basically. Will likely, <laughs> likely progress. And yep. I mean, at some stage they won't progress any further. And then, they, you know, there's been plenty of animals that have spontaneously recovered mm-hmm. from tick paralysis and the body can get rid of the toxin off the nerves over, you know, several days yep. to a week or two sort of thing. Um, but because of this wide range of symptoms that it um, produces. I mean, if you can't swallow properly for, mm. for four days, five days, seven days, yeah, that's a, and the a, a problem. And breathing. Well, stress and breathing and everything else. But, you know, if you, if you can't get fluids in yeah. um, and and syringing fluids into the mouth is the last thing you want to do because yeah. they can't swallow properly. And, and I've seen many, many aspiration mm-hmm. pneumonias from people like syringing stuff into their mouth and, in an attempt to, like, conservatively treat them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, basically recommend treatment if they're showing any um, symptoms essentially mm-hmm. uh, so and, and treatment is I mean the only thing that makes them get better is the, the tick anti-serum mm-hmm. um, so that's a blood product from dogs that are very immune to ticks mm-hmm. um, and that's either um, the normal tick anti-serum or despecified tick anti-serum so the despecified one's just a bit more highly manufactured and, and has had the, some of the antigenic proteins removed so it doesn't look as much like um dog serum which is important if a you've had um, paralysis tick treatment before in the pet um, mm. and, and i see quite a few patients that have had tick paralysis you know two or three or four times um, and you're injecting a foreign protein into the pet and you're increasing its potential risk for having a reaction to the actual uh, serum which we monitor very closely but it can still happen okay just because of them having the treatment before yeah it's like, react to the- it's like having you know blood transfusions that sort of thing so, different blood transfusions yeah that's blood right types, yeah. so um, that that is you know a potential risk of treatment, but we've got lots of medications and monitoring mm-hmm. things that we do to sort of mitigate that risk. Uh, and definitely cats. I mean, cats don't like dog protein being uh, injected mm. into them, so the despecified um, serum is is preferable in cats. Yep. You can get around it in a few ways, but but it's certainly the the, um, the gold standard treatment for cats. And are these serums just to interrupt? These serums expensive because I know like your snake anti serums are. Like through the roof, quite yeah, expensive for yeah, the, out of the lead. The despecified's like more expensive, mm-hmm. and and again, depends a little bit on the vet's experience and and protocols on on what sort of dose they're yeah. getting. In general, it goes by the the pet's body weight. Yeah. Um, and if you have got a more severe case that you're trying to get you know pull out of a hole faster, yeah. I mean, more serum is going to do that job um, yeah. a little bit better. Um, but you know, the actual serum itself costs for like a twenty kilo dog. If you're giving them twenty twenty five mils of serum, you're probably looking at um. You five six seven eight hundred dollars yeah. worth of serum um depending yeah. on which serum you've got and so, that's provided that that actually works at that like at that, that dose they could require more later sometimes yeah. yeah i mean usually it's just a one-off dose but and if they require more later it's um okay do we require more or have we missed a tick there is there still, an, still another tick there yeah. causing you know increased toxin load and um and all sorts of different mm-hmm. um, options there but yeah i mean mostly it's usually um a single dose and, mm-hmm. and then it's hospitalization and and you know recovery from there and dealing with the potential um complications that, yep. that come along with the treatment 
Um, so it, it's not just the tick antiserum medication. There's medications that we give to uh, try and well, relax them for a start. Mm-hmm. So most pets will receive some um, tranquilizers and sedations Sedation, to yep. ease the amount of muscle activity they're doing mm-hmm. and ease their anxiety because the less they're um, doing and trying to move around, the, the better they recover. Mm-hmm. Um, and some um, really badly affected pets, um, particularly in a you know, 24-hour um hospitalization and monitoring scenario uh they'll actually anesthetize those pets um, okay. while the antiserum's working because it's just shutting down their oxygen demand essentially yep. because their bodies you know can concentrate on getting rid of the toxin rather than just concentrating on breathing and, and some of them if they're bad enough and again in a referral hospital situation or a large hospital um some of them need ventilating so yep. so the, you know, the machine will be or um, occasionally the person will mm. be breathing for them. Yep. <laughs> um, I've had a few all-nighters yep. squeezing the bag. Squeezing the bag. bag. Yep. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's there's medications to help prevent complications with the antiserum um, and then, you know, there's warding off aspiration pneumonia with antibiotics and that so sort of thing. So it's a lot of, it's this antiserum and then a lot of supportive therapy. Yeah, basically just, it, a, so. and depending on what the symptoms are and drying up respiratory secretions and, and mm-hmm. giving enough intravenous fluids to, you know, give them their maintenance Keep requirements um, without increasing their hypertension, which mm-hmm. is another thing um, that the, one of the effects of the toxin is increasing blood pressure mm-hmm. um, and some of the tranquilizers sort of help reduce that mm-hmm. blood pressure as well. But again, pets with cardiac insufficiencies and, and problems already, that becomes a bit more complicating. Mm, yeah. um, and if they've already got heart troubles, uh, excessive fluids loads is, is bad as well. So they're a bit of a balancing act. Yeah. yeah. And the more closely you can monitor them, certainly the, the better the outcomes um, and the more costs that go along with closely monitoring does, them as well. But they're yeah. often, are, tick paralysis cases are often a case where either a nurse or a vet are staying keeping an eye on the pet if they're in a bad state. Yeah, quite often or, yeah. or at least, you know, if you're not at a 24-hour facility, um, going in sort of multiple times during the night yes. and, and checking on them. So Because the complication is um, sometimes once you start treating these guys once they're presented, um, particularly if they're on um, oxygen, because a lot of these dogs, mm-hmm. if they've got enough um, demand um, on their respiratory, respiratory tract, if their blood oxygen levels are dropping enough, you, you've got them on uh, supplemental oxygen. Yep. So we do nasal cannulation, so you stick a little catheter up their nose um, and squirt oxygen um, via the nasal cannula into the mm-hmm. back of their throat. So when they've got reduced uh volume of breath if they're only taking in a small amount of air or if that air at the back of their throat has got a high concentration of oxygen it's definitely in their favor Um, but once you start doing that transporting them makes is quite difficult um, if they're already on oxygen and again the less movement and stress that you can put on them the better they recover so um a lot of the time once you start treating them, you sort of whatever facility you're in, you, it's hard to to um to transport them unless you've got you know animal ambulances with um, mobile mm-hmm. oxygen supplies and that sort of thing, which yeah. gets pretty expensive and complicated. Yes, yeah, of course. Um, so it's yeah, it's a management thing, and and you know a lot of the tick paralysis areas are you know, in regional centres where there isn't you know referral for um, yeah. twenty four hour facilities and that sort of thing. So uh, I've yeah worked in places where you know the nearest referral hospital with twenty four hour facilities is three or four hours away. So that's not really an option. No, that's yeah. exactly right. So once we've – so it's that first, you know, 12, 24 hours, there's a fair bit of treatment going on generally. Yeah, I mean the first, you know, two hours they get a bucket yes, load of medication of course, and, yeah. and, and monitoring and then once the serum's in and, and um, that's usually over an hour or two because mm-hmm. um, you don't drop it on. Um, drop it in, the, once, in 10 yeah. minutes because you're increasing their chances of reaction um, and cats in particular. So mm-hmm. um, once that serum's on board, then it's it's really yeah, the do, doing stuff. the things that they need to do to, to keep alive to yep. give the body enough time to, to um, reverse that toxin because the anti-serum actually um, displaces the toxin off the nerves so they recover faster than what the nerves otherwise would. So I usually say, you know, if you've, if you've walked or wobbled in the door, um, yeah. you know, 48 hours to go out the doors, you know, sort okay. of fairly standard. Um, if you're paralysed when you came in, usually that adds a day, but mm-hmm. they can be pretty variable. I mean, some pets, you know, you can have a 15 year old dog, you think, oh, gee, you might be in trouble. He'll walk out the door two days later. Um, and the 12 month old puppy that's a lunatic um, <laughs> and is really strong and robust, um, you know, they're still in hospital five or six days yeah. later. So it's, um, every case is variable, isn't it? Variable, yeah. But I mean, the average is uh, the average. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's what I was going to say is like, how long are we looking? So you keep them in hospital until they can walk out and walk. Well, Drink, eat, 
Yep. Yep. That's yeah. It. And then when they go home, um, there's certainly a period of restricted activity yes. when they go home and, and usually um, smaller. Confinement. Yeah, confinement and, and smaller meals. So you're not mm-hmm. overdoing it on the on the stomach um, uh, content side of things. So, yeah, I usually say at least uh, seven to ten days of um, strict rest. So mm. that's small area on lead walk out to the toilet or sometimes it's carried out to the yep. toilet depending on how they are um, because if you know, you haven't displaced all the toxin, like there's still some toxin there. So it takes um, a lot of and I've had pets that go home and, and um, have looked fine and they've, you know, wiggled out the door and, and been happy um, and been let off the lead and run around the yard, you know, three times and then they're back to paralysed. Um, yeah. they, they tend to recover quite quickly from that. Yeah. Um, but because that nerve toxin is still there, the more, again, muscle activity you've got happening, um, you can you can exasperate that condition yeah, again. So it's, yeah. it's very based on that um, stimulation of all those nerves, I guess. Yep. So. Like you said, that's why you sedate them when they come in, so yep. that they're not using anything, um, essentially. As, so, as little as possible, yeah. Yeah, it's really yeah, what it boils down to, yep. isn't it? So yep. the quieter you can keep them for the longer, the better. And there's measurable effects on the muscles for um, six to eight weeks afterwards. Okay. So, um, so, I mean, it's pretty subtle. Um, so, But usually if they get seven, ten days after, you can sort of treat them as normal unless it's hot. Quite yeah. often it's a hot time of year. Um, they, they can't get hot essentially because again you know fast panting yeah. um fast trying to cool down um it's not great for the, the weakened respiratory muscles mm-hmm. so yeah it's restricted restricted activities for a little while so those weakened respiratory muscles take a little bit longer to that's probably the hardest part to recover <laughs> yeah just because they don't work don't um, working pretty hard basically yeah yeah um so if they've had a tick before are they likely well, like they're no more likely to get another one because they're not going to be – it's not like they're prone to getting Correct. them. But um, if they get another one, is the outcome worse? Is it like um, – Out- Outcome's no different other than if they get another tick in the first six to eight weeks after they go home, yep. which happens. Yes. Um, they are they go downhill faster because they've still got a bit of toxin still there. Um, so that's a bad thing. Yes. Um, and if they've had a tick before and been treated for it, um, they are a little bit more complicated and, and of high incidence of adverse effects from the tick anti-serum, mm-hmm. um, but the actual toxin itself hasn't got any long-term effects once that you know, six to okay. eight weeks is worn off. So there's no you know, long-term organ damage or anything else as long as there wasn't you know, complications that caused it. Caused and unfortunately, like that. I mean, we've seen pets that, you know, come in season after season and they, for some reason, can yep. be a magnet for it. Yeah, be a magnet for it and, <laughs> and, and, and you know, <laughs> prevention hasn't been appropriately well, applied. <laughs> and this is it. We're lucky enough now to have a multitude of um, prevention products, really. Yeah, we've got, got some very effective ones. We yeah. do, because yeah. um, years ago, I know there was really only one option at one point, and then there was two, and it's just a yeah. spot on, and it was, and everyone got it confused with Frontline Plus and your Advantix for oh, yeah. treating yep. it. Yep. You got to put it on and every two weeks for your ticks. And the good old proband tablets, which yes. sm- smelled like smelled like death, but um, I mean they're pretty effective. But yeah. but they no it, it, was, it was daily or every second day for your dogs and twice a week for your cats. Oral yep. tablets and that tasted bloody horrible. Yeah. Um, and and it wasn't that much fun. But yeah, I mean these days you have got some very good preventative I'm options. I mean nothing in the prevention stakes is, you know, 100%. And that's exactly They're definitely getting more effective, um, but but nothing's 100%. And and prevention-wise, I mean, the recommendation is always to um, thoroughly uh, examine your dog all over daily, which realistically for a 20-kilo cattle dog is like a half-hour job um, to thoroughly examine a a dog. and and It's a bit easier with your lap dog that's on your little sausage dog that you've had every day. Easier, but if they're fluffy, it makes it harder (laughs) as well. Um, I'll put my hand up. My dogs don't get a thorough tick Mm. search on a daily daily basis. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you know, a realistic part of life, but I mean, that's, that's definitely, uh, it definitely helps, but uh, a thorough examination every day, you know, you can definitely overlook ticks that way. So it's part of, um, potential prevention. I mean, I always recommend, you know, a chemical, um, insecticide of some sort uh, in the body or on body Mm -hmm. that is effective and registered for ticks, um, Mm -hmm. as a, um, the most uh, effective prevention you've got. Yeah. So that's, um, the thing, isn't it? There's the options now, there's stuff that, Things that you can put on top of them, like a topical treatment. Yep. There's um, collars, yep. like a flea and tick collar that they go on, or there's now um, tablets or chews in which they you feed to your dog essentially, yep, and so it works from the inside out. Yep, and, um, and, and baths. And baths, yeah. But baths only last, and sprays. Um, but, yeah, yeah. The, the registered bathing things last for three days, um, which 
who wants to wash their dog, dog yeah. or cat every three days? Um, I'm not washing all, my cat. All, 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 all over um, every three days doesn't sound like much fun. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and the sprays, again, they've got to be all over because yeah. they're only working locally, so they've got to have an all over application. And, yes. and the um, synthetic pyrethrins for dogs, um, they're usually registered for about a week. Um, there's no synthetic pyrethrins for cats because it's really oh. toxic for cats. Um, and the frontline um, spray, it's registered um, you know, for a longer period of time, four and three weeks um, for dogs and cats for um, paralysis sticks. But again, you know, it's it's not it's not um, easy to put on and, and mm. get an all over distribution. Yeah, no, that's a, it is tricky, I guess, to spray yeah. because you're essentially. You want them wet, yes. don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to know and, and it's got to be, you know, the right yeah. amount, and it's got to be all over. Yeah, yeah. all over coverage, and yeah. um, and the top spots. I mean, they still work well. The Advantix yes. and the front line um, at a two week interval. But uh, please put them on every two weeks. Yep, just as per oh. as per the on label exactly. instructions, uh, and that's for dogs. There's no um, topical top spots for cats that are registered for um, for ticks. There's um, probably there. one coming. Um, yep. Brevecto will have a, a top spot out before too long, um, which I think is going to be three months for fleas and ticks in cats and six months for dogs. Yep. Um, that's the pre-release um, word that we're getting. So oh. um, that will which be, will be know, great for your cat. Very, very good for cats. Um, and, really you know, yeah, the Brevecto and NextGuard, um, Brevecto is registered for four months for paralysis ticks mm-hmm. um, in Australia and the NextGuard's monthly for fleas mm-hmm. and ticks and the Brevecto does the fleas, fleas for three months. months. Yeah. Um, so in there really i think the most effective uh, prevention we've got now because I mean, it's easy once a month or once every yeah, three four months that's right and i mean the only way it doesn't work is um you know if you throws it up in the mm. first half an hour or hour after you give mm-hmm. it to it. So, um, I mean, that usually doesn't happen and shouldn't happen, but, I mean, maybe if you're using those medications, just have them in a controlled area, um, you know, just to be absolutely sure that they mm. don't vomit it back up again. Yeah. Um, but that realistically, that's the only way that those medications aren't going to be, mm. you know, as close to 100% effective as they can be. Of course, be. it's straight into them once it hits the Correct, stomach, yeah, it's, it starts it, breaking it, down. It, them. And it's a long-acting systemic. Exactly. Um, the top spots, I mean, again, they're very effective, but there is um, some more uh, instructions on how you apply them, where to apply them, um, bar- bath times, bathing yep. intervals and that sort of thing. And and um, some of these medications that are topical, I mean, it, it concerns me a little. You know, if it's a normal pet with normal skin and normal coat, mm-hmm. um, that's you know, a normal thing. Um, there's plenty of... Um, dogs and cats, particularly in summer months, um, that have got like you know, dermatitis and, and skin conditions, which will change the the thickness of the skin mm-hmm. and then the type of the coat and um, like the the sebum, the grease levels mm-hmm. in the in the coat and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's a few more variables with the top spots. Yep. So again, this is very, still very effective, but um, the more variables there are, the more chances mm-hmm. of of some problems in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there are a few. I mean, it's uh, it's essentially finding something that works for you, you and your pet. Yes, but also keeping in mind that nothing is 100% effective yep. and you need to be aware of the signs and the symptoms, if, especially if you're living in an area that's known for it. Yep. And you need to, oh, if you can, check your pet every day. Yep. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, in an ideal world, that would that would happen. I mean, touch wood, yep. I'm yet to see a pet that's using Brevecto or NextGuard um, uh, as per instructions um, yep. get paralysis stick troubles um in the past i have had pets that that you know as much as you can tell owners have done due diligence and and applied it at the right intervals in the right way um, and, and they've yeah. still had you know a, a, a tick get mm. get through that um that control measure yeah. um yeah there's just more variables of you know if you're giving next guard every three months obviously that's not gonna work that's right. um so you, you've just got to be you know sure double sure that the, mm-hmm. the interval that you're giving it is the way that the, the medication is registered yeah, yeah. yeah so and it's of course making sure you're picking the right size um weight range yes for yep. your dog because yep. it's not going to work if you're giving your 40 kilo dog the five kilo correct <laughs> packet. Yep. so yep. make sure you're giving them the right yeah um, and unfortunately right. you know the cat's you're pretty limited still with yeah. with the options for cats. It's essentially you know the only registered products are, are frontline spray, mm-hmm. um, uh, topically, and Fido's free at Trins Concentrate. And um, I solid, solid soaked <laughs> bath every three oh, days. Yeah. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah, your cat wouldn't but, let you but, do it very but much. Help, helps coming with um with yeah, with, to... with the top spot, and there's probably going to be a monthly oral um before too long as yeah. well. Um, and that's the thing; cats. things are always um changing in the vet world. Yeah. So we're lucky that they're um finding some new things. I mean, as I said, these new chews like Nexgard, Brevecto, um, and Simparica. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They've all 
uh, recent product, really, to the market. They yeah, last, last couple of years. years. Yeah. So before that, we only had a couple of top spots that actually did the job. So. That's right. And those three, I mean, they're, they're very effective. Um, and it's collars and, too. And, we should mention that you've got your prevent tick collars and um, kill tick collars. Yep, and it's restro. Yeah. Yep. So there's, you know, there's, there's very effective methods out there for everyone. It's just um, – yeah, what fits your budget, what fits your dog's lifestyle. Mm. Um, and lifestyle means, you know, how often they're getting bathed, uh, how often are they swimming, um, and, and just their, you know, their living environment yep. essentially. So there's, there's quite a few variables there, but there's, there's uh, something to fit every mm. dog's lifestyle and, and, and hopefully budget. Yeah. Just be careful if you are trying to find a way around at the moment treating your cat or preventing ticks on your cat because a lot of these products um, that we can use on a dog are – Absolutely deadly to yeah. your cat. Yeah, anything with pyrethrins in it. Yes. The synthetic pyrethrins are um, extremely toxic to, yeah. to cats. Yeah. So you, you even have to be um, cautious if you've got a dog-cat family yeah. and that live in the same quarters, like yeah. share a bed and stuff. You nearly really need to be cautious. And cautious, and, and that's probably where the orals come into it more yes, for, the, exactly. for the dogs um, because you know it's only in the system it's as opposed to, the, yeah, if you've got um, you know dogs that sleep together with cats or in, you know, yeah. cohabit in the same household, the top spots, I mean, certainly – I've had patients that have, you know, been uh, poisoned in the cat world mm. from the dog that they sleep beside, true, um, yeah. from top spots when the top spots sort of first go on. You've got that oily spot for, yeah. for the first, you know, 12, 24 hours sort of thing. Um, and collars, I can't remember actually seeing a, a cat toxicity problem with a dog wearing a collar, but, I mean, theoretically, you know, it's on the it outside could, of the dog, so it could happen. So if they chewed it. Yeah, well, if they chewed it, but even like just close proximity, mm. they're, just, they're just really sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just something to keep in mind. Yeah. I wonder if you're the old, like, there's a lot of old wives' tales going around about treating ticks. Oh, like, yeah. there's some crackers, <laughs> like, really, really good ones. And, like, they really are old really, wives' tales. Really, really, really bad ones, yeah. Yeah, they're really, yeah. They're really And you can't even imagine how they actually came to be St- thought that they would work. Started, yeah. Oh, just the some of them, yeah. Well, Glenn's got a good <laughs> They're cutting off the tips of ears. It's a really sad one. Yeah. I just Northern Queensland, that was a that was a thing. I practiced in towns for a couple of years and, and that seemed to be there seemed to be like geographical location <laughs> variances in the in the wives' tale. Um so yeah, so ear tips, um and seem to be more feeding the tick to the dog once you pull it off creates oh. future immunity, um, was quite popular in North Queensland. It's actually then end up more dangerous for the dog if the dog oh, ate it. No, I think it, if you've killed it and it doesn't stick its tongue on the way down, <laughs> I think the stomach would make fairly short work yeah. of it. And, but it's certainly not going to induce better immunity or have <laughs> any tre- treatment effect, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and Sunshine Coast, people were big on force squirting copper sulfate solutions, concentrated, concentrated copper sulfate so, um, solutions orally into the poor paralysed dogs and cats. Which um, is a, a copper sulfate's like this blue little crystal that apparently fixes everything in the world. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's antifungal. If you stick it in a water trough, it stops algae from growing. Um, We've had but some yeah, I, I had some poor dogs with spectacular aspiration pneumonias because they couldn't mm. swallow properly and people are battling to give them this toxic um, tasting copper sulfate it's solution. Orally it's going straight in their lungs and it shows up quite well on x rays. <laughs> Um, as a as a mineral toxin, um, so that was pretty sad. Yeah. Um. So yeah, feeding them doesn't feeding the tick to the dog doesn't help. Um, cutting copper sulfate doesn't help. Years. Cutting the tops of ears doesn't help. So they were doing this with horses too, though. Weren't uh, they? Oh, that was more so for a different thing, and it's, yeah. I've seen it as an attempted treatment for parvo and a few other things, depending on where you're practicing as well. Um. But yeah, so it no, doesn't no, work, none guys. None of that works. No. no. The only way to help them is to get them into your vet and get some any. Yeah, tick t- any serum is the only thing that works. And I mean, yeah. you know, high dose vitamin C, it's not going to do any harm. Oh, yeah. um, but it's it's not going to adverse. It's not going to adversely um, affect the actual toxin. Um, so it's not going to help. No, realistically. Yeah. And that's it. That is one that people throw out there all yep. the time for snakes and ticks. Yes, the vitamin C is going to yep. cure them. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've got no troubles when you give it high dose vitamin C as yeah. well as treating it for yep. tick paralysis. I've got no problems with that. But um, if you're doing that instead of, that's a really bad idea. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess the biggest things to take out of this are know your signs and symptoms when you're in an area of tick paralysis because yep. it's um, can all go bad very quickly essentially yeah. from the time that you first notice because you can miss those early signs and yeah. symptoms and then we're all only human we're not or, there or, or have been through an area where tuberculosis are point, um, yes. because you can you know you can get a fair way in a car in five and seven mm. days these days so if you've you know recently been to a, yeah. an, an area walking the dogs you know had a car trip and jumped them, jumped them out at 
Lismore on the way home or yep. something like that, um, and you've gone back to Dubbo or wherever yeah. that's, that's certainly not a paralysis area, um, that can get fairly com- yeah. complicated um, as a uh, you know a list of possibilities of what's causing mm, this. Um, and I mean, most vets will be um, you know, up, up to scratch with having yeah. an idea, but I mean, if you're practicing an area that just doesn't have paralysis ticks, it's, it's not going to be on your first list of not problems of with the you know old dog yep. with wobbly legs. Um, you're going to be thinking back troubles or, or mm. arthritis troubles, not paralysis tick probably. Until yeah. The owner says, "Oh no, we went down to um, yeah. the outskirts of Western Sydney last week." Yeah, then they might think of it. So, yeah, yeah it's um, if you can take out all those sim- take those symptoms on board, those signs, know them. Um, make sure that if you can check your pet, run your fingers through their coats daily. Make sure they're on a um, prevention that is suitable, and you're compliant with that prevention treatment. Yep. Um, we, if you do find a tick on your pet, if you think you're check you're pet is showing any signs or symptoms get in touch with your vet straight away it's really important it's not something to just sit on because the difference between um 12 hours overnight um they can deteriorate yeah so we want to the sooner you get onto it the better it is for the pet the better it is for your wallet (laughs) and and the best thing is i mean if if it's a healthy active normal dog or cat um and they're not showing symptoms and you take the tick off um and and hopefully the the symptoms don't progress from there and, right. and don't get any troubles and and we always recommend like strict confinement for that mm-hmm. couple of days because but they can go home, but they can go home under strict <laughs> confinement rather than having to get treated but if mm-hmm. they start showing any symptoms again you get you get in the treatment pathway yep. um, but yeah i'd much rather say yep it's a paralysis tick but we're not showing any symptoms so we can actively you know confine them uh, yep. reduce the amount of food they're eating all at once and, and keep a very close eye out mm-hmm. for those symptoms um and if it is um showing any symptoms yeah we can do something about it early because yeah. earlier is definitely better yeah exactly yeah. we didn't actually mention though they pets actually do die <laughs> from oh, tick paralysis yeah, it's not uncommon to get to treating them too late or um or the toxins just taken over too much yeah, it's, it. it's about five percent of pets that are that's like on a australia-wide basis about five yep. percent of pets that are um presented with uh symptoms of tick paralysis um uh, die yeah. yeah so that's you know it's not huge but that's if it's your dog that's a five percent yeah. or a cat that's a five percent that's really bad um and and it's yeah, it, it is, can be very frustrating. Like, you know, you'll treat 200 cases a year and, and you'll lose a couple and often it's the ones that you didn't think you were mm. going to potentially lose that um, that end up getting the, the weird heart failure troubles or yep. or something happens um, adversely as far thing. as those complications go. Um, so it can be – yeah, it's pretty devastating for everyone. Of course, yeah. yeah. So, yes, if we can definitely take that away as with you is that you – realistically, if you find any tick on your pet and you're not sure, you need to get them into your vet to – um, sort of the tick identified. Yeah, you get a tick identified. I mean, if the, if the animal's completely it. normal, you know, I'm happy to just identify a tick. And if you bring the tick yep. in and it's not a paralysis tick, well, you've got nothing to worry about. That's right. Um, but if but it, it is a paralysis say it tick. It doesn't have another tick on it somewhere, too. Correct. So yeah. Keep an so, eye. so it's tick prevention on the <laughs> and keep looking for more. Yep. Um, and, and that's just the, the usual story. Yep. Yeah. So keep an eye on them, especially if you're in this, uh, the. Our area, the eastern coast area of Australia, or anywhere along the eastern coast, pretty much. Yep. They need to be, um, you need to be diligent, get them on some prevention because yep. it really is um, the best thing you can do for them. Yep, absolutely. And for yourself, ultimately. Yep. So, um, got anything else to add, Glenn? No, it just about covers it. Yep. yep. All right. Well, I think we're done for ticks and tick paralysis. Take care, guys. All right. Thank you. Bye bye.